Our scripture reading today is from Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a church official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found him at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Hannah for reading that passage this morning. Hello, everybody. Uh, It's good to be with you here. I have a quick announcement before we get into um, this text and the sermon. It's about uh, year-end giving. So uh, December, historically, is a month where the church usually sees about 25% of its overall um, giving and the, the money that comes in. And so I just wanted to mention that you're going to be getting some communication from us. You're going to be getting a a letter or an email if you haven't received that already. Um, But I want to start by saying thank you so much for your generosity to this church. Um, We're we're having a um, a really solid year in a year where we are uh, flexing and expanding financially. Uh, we're, We're reaching, you know, to be in this place. It's uh, building it out and, and then paying the rent and that sort of thing is considerably more uh, than what we were doing when we were at the Embassy Suites. You guys remember the Embassy Suites? <laughs> Dark place, across the interstate. Uh, the Lord was so kind to us to give us that place as a home uh, for three years, but, but we're here. Um, and, you know, it's funny, I was, I was looking at all of the angles for... <laughs> Um, how much, is it really more expensive to be here than at the Embassy Suites? And when you look at it this way, we were there for five hours a week. We're here 24-7. This place is a steal. 
uh, when you look at it that way. Um, but we, we have, we've had this uh, fund that people have been able to give to called the um, Cool Springs Build Out, Cool Springs Home Build Out. Uh, it's on the, the give menu when you, when you go to christpres.org slash give. Um, but people have been able to give designated gifts to that. And the last time I checked, I checked earlier this week, I asked um, the person in charge of finances, I asked them wh- what that was up to. Um, and it's almost, it's near $140,000. Um, that people have given to the build-out, just the build-out of this uh, place, which is, um, it's, it's, it's about 350000 is is kind of what the build-out ended up being total, and in, including the furnishing of the place. Uh, so it's been really amazing. That fund will remain active until probably mid-January if people want to give to that. Uh, I know a lot of people kind of plan their year-end giving, and so we wanted to leave that up um, through the end of this calendar year. But thank you so much for your generosity. It's been a blessing to, to, to be in a place where we could make this move. Uh, and so we, but we do want to continue, to, we want to ask you to continue to support the church and understand that December is a month that we kind of use as a gauge for how we think we're going to land for the rest of the year. Our fiscal year is July through June, so that also marks the halfway point for us. But there's a lot of things that are involved in this process um, that really help us as a church be able to meet certain needs that we have, like additional staffing, um, some of the expenses that are just part of having a facility like cleaning, cleaning crews and electricity bills and things like that, um, that are an ongoing part of that. But then there's a lot of things that we also want to launch, we want to start. Um, and so we're going to be expanding a lot of our programming this year, uh, adding some opportunities for you to continue to worship and connect and serve, and that all takes uh, resources as well, not only in terms of personnel, but whenever you um, add staff, you also need to add programming money uh, to be able to resource the staff to be able to do what it is that they do. And so um, I just want to continue to ask you to pray uh, and to um, practice generosity in supporting your church, which you guys have done such an amazing job with. So thank you for that. Um, Okay. All right, so this is the last sermon in this Acts series until the beginning of the new year. So starting in January, we're going to resume the book of Acts, but during, for the last five Sundays of the year, starting next week, we're going to be in that uh, series on uh, the women who gave us Jesus, and uh, really looking forward to that, really looking forward to getting into that. But I love that we're, that we're ending with this passage because it's, it's a passage that really kind of hits on uh, some of the things that make us as a church who we are. Uh, so here at Christ Pres, we, we believe that the Lord formed the church for a purpose, that we're not just killing time, we're not just giving people something to do on Sunday, but, but the Lord put the church together, which is a great idea, um, that, that he would say to Christians, you're not going to walk alone, but you're going to be in a community together, and that we would be a community that would be bound together by faith um, and for the purpose of giving glory to God in this world and living as his witnesses. And we've talked a couple of times during this Acts series about how Christians around the world share a kind of a shorthand, share, share a language, an understanding of when, when somebody says to you that they are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, you understand that that means certain things. 
uh, that, the, the, that you're, you're able to kind of locate them on a map a little bit in terms of what motivates them and what drives them and, and where their hope resides and all of that. And, and as a church, we, we want to be a community that can, continues to deepen that and continues to, to grow in that. And so we've, we've worked diligently. We did a sermon series on this a couple years ago uh, on what we refer to as our discipleship pathway, right? You hear us use the terms worship, connect, and serve. And I wanted to hit those really quick before we get into this message because this message really zeroes in on two of them. Um, so worship, connect, serve. Under each of these, we kind of had two major ideas or bullet points. Under worship, it was this, be fully present with the church every Sunday. And second, be fully present with Jesus every day. Uh, that's a call to be people of the book, to be people who read and people who pray. And connect, under connect, take every opportunity to gather with your group. This presumes that you have a group. Uh, so we're a church of groups. We have small groups. We have uh, connect groups, which are the, the, you know, kind of the home groups and four groups and other groups that are going to be forming. Um, Take every opportunity to gather with your group. So be in relationship with other people intentionally. And then second, befriend and bring in people who don't yet have a church home. Uh, and we're really kind of specific about that language, that we're not, we, we don't ever want to poach from other churches. Uh, we're not looking to woo people away from the church that they're going to. But if, if you have neighbors, if you have people in your life that don't have a church home, maybe they're new to the area and they're looking for a church or they've just been away from the church, uh, invite them, bring them in, welcome them in, help them connect. And then serve, strengthen the church by serving and giving. And then second, enhance flourishing by serving your work and your world and people in need. That means that we're serving the church here, but we're also serving as members of the church out in our communities wherever we are. So today's passage gives kind of special focus to two of these points. Be fully present with Jesus every day and befriend and bring in people who don't have a church home. Let me elaborate. So I want to begin this, this message, I want to kind of take it in two parts. The first is I want to just unpack Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian, and then what I want to do is I want to close by looking at the Ethiopian's encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ and what that teaches us. So this encounter that happens that Hannah just read for us is anything but ordinary. It does, this kind of stuff doesn't happen a lot. It's not all over the pages of Scripture. Luke tells us that Philip is told by an angel to go south, right? And so he sets out on the road to Gaza, and the text emphasizes this is a desert place. Now, let's think metaphorically for a second, because maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to feeling like, I set out on a, on a path a while ago, and I'm in a desolate place right now. I'm in, a, I'm in a barren, barren land, and, and you're feeling like God has called you out of something that is familiar into a place that's not just foreign, but is, but is barren, is, is desolate. But what Philip does is he rises and goes. And the principle here is that it is better to walk in the desert with Jesus than to live in the streets of familiarity without him. And so that's what he does. And on the road, Philip encounters a eunuch who's traveling home from Jerusalem. Scripture is so thrifty in its language that that little detail, a eunuch traveling, from Jerusalem, traveling home from Jerusalem, tells us a ton about him. 
Um, the text tells us that he was treasurer to Candace, which is not a name, uh, but it's a title. It's, it's the title of the queen of Ethiopia. Uh, and so kind of like a pharaoh. Uh, and so Ethiopia is this large region in Africa just below Egypt, and he was a eunuch. Eunuchs were male servants of royal households who were often emasculated as a measure to ensure their loyalty to their post and also to ensure their proper conduct around the women that they served. And so this eunuch here is traveling home from Jerusalem, which is a hint that he was likely what's referred to as a God-fearer. Um, and a God-fearer is, a, uh, is the name that's given to a Gentile convert to Judaism. So, and we know that he has this relationship because he's coming back from Jerusalem and he's handling scripture. He's reading a scroll and it's his own copy of Isaiah, which is a possession that would have indicated that he was a person of means. And so here we have this eunuch who is a servant of the queen of Ethiopia, and he's rich and he's powerful. And Philip sees him in his chariot. Philip doesn't know any of this. He sees a guy on a chariot reading something, and the Spirit of the Lord says, go over to that guy and have a conversation. And so, so that's what he does. And he, and this is how evangelism often works, right, is, is Philip walks over to the eunuch who is reading Isaiah, and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? Because Philip knows it. He's, he's, he's like, he's reading Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch replies, by way of invitation, uh, you can see him almost patting the seat, right? He said, by, by way of invitation, how, how am I supposed to understand what I'm reading unless somebody helps explain this to me? And what Philip teaches us here in this moment is something that's really vital about outreach, and that is his question is a sincere offer to help. That's the inroad for his evangelism is a sincere offer to help. So many opportunities for talking about Jesus come from timely questions. Why are you crying? How can I encourage you? How can I help? It's paying attention to what's going on in the lives of other people and seeing if there's a way that you can help them, which is not a bait and switch, but it's part of the shorthand of how Christians live. There is no greater love than this that we lay down our life for our friends, right? And so serving people is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so Philip climbs aboard the chariot. Now I have to tell you, my imagination kicks in. I have no concept of what this chariot looked like. Do you? Can you picture one? What, is it like out of Ben-Hur? Is it blinged out? Yeah. Is it, uh, I, I, I don't know. He climbed, but he climbs up into the chariot. Uh, and he's there, and it, and it says that beginning with this scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Now, this is a pretty unusual example of evangelism, even within the book of Acts, and so it would be wrong for us to assume that this is how we're supposed to do it. And what I mean by that is we can't use this as a proof text for thinking that we shouldn't do anything unless the Lord clearly directs us in the way that we should go, because Jesus gave us a, good commission, a great commission already and said, go. So we know we're supposed to go. But yet here we also see a truth that extends to every single soul that confesses Christ, and it's this. 
It was God's purpose. It was God's purpose to save the Ethiopian, not Philip's. It was God's purpose. In fact, every conversion ever is orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, including your own. So Philip's question for the Ethiopian is a good one for us to hear because the heart of this passage is that Scripture, rightly understood, is life-changing. It's why we say, be fully present with Jesus every day. And the Ethiopian's response shows this. Philip is a person who didn't spend years at the feet of Jesus, like Peter or like John. He was a lay servant in the church, and God used him. He read God's word, and he read it to understand, not just to get through it. So sometimes we read scripture to get through it. And I want to be gentle with that because you're looking at a guy who has tried to read through the Bible every year and has gotten into the mildew laws in Leviticus and has said, I don't know if I can keep going. <laughs> and maybe you're like that too. Or maybe you're reading passages and you're like, I, it feels like I just read this two chapters ago. And you go two chapters back and it's right there. Why is it repeating itself over and over again? But Philip was a person who read and he read to understand. And so kind of presents us with the question too, doesn't it? When you read the Bible, do you read to understand? Charles Spurgeon said this about the Bible. I love this. He said, the book was written to be understood. It must be so written as to be understood since it were a mockery for God to give us revelation which we could not comprehend. In other words, God gives us his word in order that we might know him, not to conceal himself, but to reveal himself. Now, how long will it take you to read Scripture and comprehend? It'll take you every day you've been given on the face of this earth, and then you're still going to need help. <laughs> when you enter into glory, then all will be revealed. But still, we have his revelation now, and the call is for us to seek to understand, to read it often, to read it repeatedly, to dwell on a text for as long as you need to. I know of a man who read John 17 every day for a year. That's Jesus' high priestly prayer. I'm not made of the kind of constitution that can do that, but it's been done. It's been done. Dwell on a text for as long as you need to. Reading scripture is not a race. And pray. As you read scripture, ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate God's word for you. Because here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you know the author of the Bible. Like you have a relationship with the author of scripture. And if you're not sure what his word means, ask him. Because God delights to reveal himself to his people. Read to understand. And then the last thing I would say on this is... Avail yourself of the resources of trusted scholars, knowing that God can use them, whether they're dead or alive, God can use them in your life, much like he used Philip in the life of the Ethiopian. Confess when you need somebody to explain God's word to you. It's not a sign of weakness to say, how am I supposed to understand this unless somebody explains it to me? It's happening right there, right? And so what happens? Someone who has studied the scripture and understands what they're reading helps. Philip didn't just read scripture to get through it. He read to understand and what it taught about Jesus. Now notice the fruit of what came out of this. 
Philip was prepared. He was prepared to read the passage with the Ethiopian and tell him about Jesus. How could he do this? Well, the way he could do this is because the truth is every page of Scripture is in some way about Jesus. It's in some way pointing to Jesus. So connecting a text to Jesus is not about being clever. Uh, It's about understanding what is written. And when you understand, then do what it says. We get this from the Ethiopian. From the eunuch's response, here's what I think Philip did. I think Philip walked through the text of Isaiah. And then I think he eventually got to the Great Commission, which is Jesus' call to his people to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why do I think this is what Philip did? Well, because this new disciple from Ethiopia understands the work of Jesus pertains to him, and so what does he ask for? He asks to be baptized. The connection was made. He hears the word, he understands the word, and then he does what it says. Spurgeon, again, he said this. He said, be true to truth as it comes to you. If God gives you only common candlelight, make good use of it. And he will trim your lamp till it shines like the light of this holy place. And then he adds this. Many groan over their inabilities, yet they have never gone to the end of their abilities. We can't complain about what we don't understand if we're not applying what we do understand. And so that's what happens in the passage. And then that's the last we hear of Philip until Acts chapter 21, which is 20 years later. I love that. Philip just kind of goes off the scene for a bit. And then in Acts 21, he reappears, and it's kind of amazing. Here's what happens. The text that we read tells us Philip was working his way up the coast to Caesarea. And in Acts 21, we learn that he arrived and that he settled there and that he married and that his wife, he and his wife had four daughters and that they played host to none other than the Apostle Paul and his traveling companion, Luke. Why is that significant? Luke wrote Acts. Ah, puzzle pieces, right? They're coming together. What that means is today's text likely came from a conversation that Luke had with an older Philip recalling his encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. And he talks about the text that they studied and how the eunuch went on his way rejoicing because of the time that they spent in the In Isaiah 53 and 54 and 55 and 56 and so on. Isaiah 53 is is one of the most astonishing descriptions of Christ that you will find in the Old Testament. In fact, entering into the Advent season, you'll be hearing from Isaiah 53. Because it talks about why Jesus was born. See, in Advent, during the Christmas season, we don't just celebrate that Jesus was born. We celebrate why he was born. And that's tough to look at. 
because we're celebrating the birth of a baby who's the second person of the Trinity come in the flesh for the purpose of offering up his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And Isaiah 53 is just on that point. But it's one of the most amazing passages. The verse just before the one that Luke quotes here in Acts reads this. It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This one would be led to the slaughter without objection, and he would be led to the slaughter without objection for us. And so the Ethiopian asks Philip the question, this, this one who's going to be led to the slaughter, is it the author of Isaiah? Or is he talking about somebody else? And behind that question is this question. Is it possible that salvation is offered to me? This Ethiopian eunuch must have felt like an outsider to the things of God for two primary reasons, because he was a Gentile and because he was a eunuch. As a eunuch, this man was forbidden from entering the temple area. De- Deuteronomy 23.1 tells us that. As a Gentile, he knew that he was not from the line of Abraham. He was not part of the covenant family. But then he reads this text in Isaiah, and it says, God laid upon his suffering servant the iniquity of us all. All? Even a Gentile? Even a eunuch? As they read on this text, they would have come to Isaiah 54, verse 3. Next chapter. So they're riding along, they're reading. So surely they got to Isaiah 54, right? And it says this, as your seed shall in, and your seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. So here's a Gentile in a desolate place reading, your seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. God extends salvation to the Gentiles. The all whose sin is laid upon Christ includes Gentiles. Okay, so but what about eunuchs? Even if salvation extends to Gentiles, does it extend to Gentile eunuchs? Well, listen, if they would have read further, just a couple of chapters, which I have to believe they did. They would have come to Isaiah 56, three chapters later. In Isaiah 56, verses 3 and 4, it says this, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to eunuchs who hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. Scripture, guys, Scripture. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be 
cut off. When the eunuch learned that he was reading about Christ and that salvation was extended to him and that he too could be baptized in the name of Jesus, signifying that he belonged to Christ, he jumped at the opportunity. Jumped at it. Why? Because this man who doubted that he as a Gentile and as a eunuch could ever fully embrace God now understood that God was embracing him. There's so much in your life and in my life that hopelessly prevents us from embracing God. We can never make ourselves right with him as we are. And so I implore you, please do not take your salvation for granted. Don't wait until the end of your life to be awed by God's grace towards you. Because, beloved, as specific as Isaiah was to the eunuch, so are these words from the Apostle Paul to the Christian from Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you get what you're reading? Do you understand that the gospel is about you? You who could never fully embrace God? Do you understand that what it tells you is that if your faith is in him, it's because he has embraced you. And that your life was worth that cost. If you understand that, go from his word today, as always, rejoicing. If you don't understand that today, ask, will somebody explain this to me? You're in a room full of people who want to. In fact, when we do communion in just a moment, Tom and Sherry Drury will be standing back there by the, the incredulity of St. Thomas by Caravaggio in the back corner, and they'll be available there to pray with you and for you for whatever reason. <laughs> And then you can go from there also rejoicing. And to all of us, return to the word often, daily even. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that reading scripture rewards the further reading of scripture. That we might look at a passage like this in Acts and not understand that the text that Luke tells us they were reading 
in the next chapter and then a chapter or two after that speak specifically to the hope of redemption that is offered not only to Gentiles but to Gentile eunuchs and how this man is trying to understand what scripture has to say and whether it's about a hope that is available to him and you put Philip in his path for the very purpose of unpacking the beauty of the gospel. Lord, I thank you that part of the function of the church, the local church, is this rhythm of unpacking the beauty of the gospel together on on a regular basis in one another's homes, in corporate worship services, in small groups, in emails that we send to each other, in ways and conversations that we have around coffee. Uh, Lord, I thank you that the beauty of the church is that we exist because your mercy and your grace extends to all that you would call. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for the beauty of this passage and for the hope that is found there and the hope that is offered to us in the name and in the finished work of Jesus. And we pray this in his mighty name. Amen.